Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, as our musicians um, find their way off the platform, would you just join me in praying that we would we would see Jesus in the text of Scripture today? God in heaven, I thank you for the ministry um, of Paul and Jesse and everyone who's involved in putting together the opportunity for us to to sing praises to you, God. This morning, as I as I sang about turning our eyes towards Jesus. Lord, I, the prayer of my heart that you was that you would turn my eyes toward Jesus. God, we know in beholding Christ that we we are then equipped to see our, ourselves as we truly are and to see God as he truly is. And God, that's that's what we need. We need to encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ. We we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would compel us to obey him and to follow him faithfully. God, we pray that in the hearing of your word that you would stir within us affections for Christ. God, I know that in this room there are husbands and wives who are discouraged. There are employees who are frustrated. God, there, there are as many people in this room and listening on the live stream and over in the sanctuary, there are situations that are competing for our attention and for our affection and for our emotional energy. And God, I just pray that you would remind us today that, that Christ is King, that He is seated at the right hand of the Father. God, that He even stood at the stoning of Stephen. And God, that you are pleased to honor the willing sacrifices of your people for the growth of your kingdom, and that you would allow us to, to find our home in that, to find our joy in that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of the church scattered and sharing. The church scattered and sharing from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. I, I kind of cut this a little short today because last week I wore you out for 52 minutes. And we preach 68 verses at a warp speed. So I promise not to do that today. Last week, if you weren't here, uh, we saw that Stephen was a Christ-like witness, right? He was empowered by the Spirit like Jesus. He was presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament like Jesus. And he was dying for speaking the truth about Jesus like Jesus. Stephen didn't set out to be a martyr. He simply sought out to live like Jesus. And if you set out to live like Jesus in a world that is anti-Jesus, you might end up a martyr. And what we're going to see today is that while we might think this was the end of the church, it actually was the explosion of the church. That, that God sovereignly used the stoning of Stephen to scatter the church and spread the gospel like never before. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8? And Saul approved of his, his, not his education, his execution, and his is, is Stephen's. And Saul approved of his 
execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. In a span of eight verses... Luke takes us from the stoning of Stephen outside of Jerusalem to the celebration of salvation in Samaria. Between these two extremes, stoning and salvation, we might expect revival. We might expect the salvation of Stephen's accusers. We might expect the conversion of Saul, but that would have to wait. For now, Saul persecutes the church and the church scatters for her survival. Saul, as we know, would eventually encounter Christ on the road to Damascus and trust him. But for now, the church would endure hardship and the gospel would nevertheless advance. Indeed, as we see throughout the New Testament, salvation often spreads. The the gospel often spreads, not in problem-free places, but rather where God's people persevere regardless of the problems or the cost or the adversity that they face. So the first thing I want us to see in the text this morning that I just want to remind us of, that I I think it's important for us to hear as relatively comfortable people, is this. On this side of eternity, following Jesus does not come with a guarantee of physical safety or comfort. We just sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And there's a line in that song that, that makes me a little uncomfortable when I sing it. I understand what it means, but I, d- I, I fear that sometimes others don't understand what it means. It says, believe him and all will be well. Well, there's a sense in which that is true, right? Because your eternity will be settled. You'll have confidence that when you stand before God in the day of judgment, that it won't be what you did, but what Christ did that will be your defense, and it's going to be okay. So there's a sense in which when you believe Christ, all is well, inwardly. But let me tell you what, when you trust in Christ, there's another sense in which you're signing up for problems. You're signing up for adversity. Because the world is set against Christ and his people. The world doesn't want you to endure. Satan doesn't want you to persevere. He wants you to knock you off track before you even get started. John 10.10, Jesus says he's come to give the abundant life. And he does give the abundant life. But the abundant life is the eternal life. And in this time, the eternal life is at odds odds with, with the life that the world wants you to have. So the abundant life is, is not always the comfortable life. Rather, it's a, it's a life where God has to be our refuge and strength. Why do you need God to be your refuge and strength if everything is fine? It is rather a, a life where God is our comfort in an uncomfortable world. It is a life that is hidden in Christ 
from the fiery darts of the evil one. It is a life that is filled and empowered by the Spirit. Why? Because we need the power of the Spirit to endure and to persevere. It is a life that it can endure, that can endure hardship when it is engaged in our Savior's mission because a sure and glorious future awaits those who are in Christ whose presence right now is our joy, our everything. Is, is the presence of Christ your everything this morning? In the here and now, we, we must be careful not to present a misleading version of the Christian life. Until Christ comes, the, the bloody death of martyrs like Stephen, the persecution of Christians in Acts 8 from house to house, both men and women, and the stories of modern day martyrs like the missionary science teacher Ronnie Smith who left the comforts of Austin, Texas to go share the gospel in Benghazi, Libya back in 2013. He was a science teacher. Could have taught science in the United States, but he went to Benghazi. And as the hostilities in Benghazi accelerated, he was asked a week before his death, is it getting too dangerous in Libya for you to stay? And this is what he said. Libya feels to be home to me. There is literally no other place on earth that we would rather be. Nowhere. A week before he passed, his wife and two-year-old son had flown back to Austin for the holidays. He stayed behind to help his students with exams and was going to leave one week later. Let me ask this question. Are you at home in the presence of God? Can you be at home anywhere in the world as long as you're on mission with King Jesus? Home is where the heart is, right? Is your heart in Christ and His mission? Is your home no matter where God would take you, no matter where, what it would cost you, is your home in the heart and in the presence of God? In verse 1, we, we learn that Saul approved of Stephen's death, but Saul was not satisfied with the death of one Christian. Saul wanted to take out the movement. On the day of Stephen's stoning, there began, do you see it? A great persecution, verse 1, against the church in Jerusalem. Not just Stephen, not just a few leaders, not just a missionary in Benghazi. The whole church was going to come under the threat of persecution for their faith in Jesus. And verse 3 tells us that Saul was leading the way. The words great persecution underscores the severity and the scope of the persecution that's, that's happening here. Saul is ravaging the church, verse 3. Uh, the word ravaging only occur, occurs here in the New Testament. But in other Greek literature outside of the Bible, the word ravaging often refers to the destruction that is caused by a ferocious predatory animal. Saul here is described as rabid in his hatred of the church. It's interesting to me that Saul's aim is to rip apart the body of Christ, but after Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus, and he spends three years 
meditating on the Old Testament in light of who Christ is, he's going to be the one who tells us in Corinthians all about the body of Christ. God's pretty awesome like that. So here he is, what he's trying to rip apart, he's going to spend the rest of his life trying to put back together. And say, look at who Jesus is. If Jesus really is who he is, and I know he is because I saw him on the road to Damascus, and now I see him in the Old Testament on every single page. He's the ruling, reigning Messiah King who puts together red and yellow, black and white under his blood. Y'all need to get together. Saul, who's trying to rip apart the church, becomes the guy that says that. God is good. But right now, Saul hates the church. He's going house to house put together his own little search party, forcing men and women out of their homes, handing them over to be imprisoned. Saul and the, the ones who are persecuting Christians with him, they're ruthless. Luke tells us about Saul now, so we're going to appreciate the seismic significance of the change that God would make in his life later. But, but Saul is not immune to persecution. He starts out and acts as the persecutor, but when God calls him into his mission, what does God say to Paul? Does he say, hey, guess what? I'm calling you to your best life now. Believe in me and all will be well. Is that what he says to Saul on the Damascus Road? No, this is what he says. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Church, the call to follow Jesus is a call to deny ourselves. It is a call to magnify King Jesus no matter what it would cost us. This text is showing us that it's not the apostles only, it's not Stephen only. It shows us that every believer, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord for salvation must be prepared to endure hardship for the sake of our King who secures our salvation and sends us out in His mission and with the confidence that one day all will be well. But from this day to that day, whatever it takes to live my life for the King who laid down His life for mine, He's got it. Blank check. Signed, Daniel J. Palmer. We've got to understand, church, that salvation is not a call to comfort and prosperity in this lifetime. But the second thing we need to understand from this text is that we can live with a settled assurance that God sees and will right all wrongs. This, this is not some sort of defeatist mentality. Well, I'm going to trust in Jesus and I, I'm going to have to face persecution and adversity and, and God will never see or never care. No, He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And one day... The wrongs that you endure for the kingdom of God will be made right. At the end of verse 1, we, we learn the apostles stayed behind as the church scattered. We, we don't know for sure why the apostles stayed behind. Perhaps they were still relatively popular or at least untouchable because of the signs and wonders they had already worked. or Perhaps they knew that there were more people yet to believe on Christ and they wanted to stay behind and share the gospel. Or... Uh, it's possible that because Stephen was working with the Hellenists and Paul was a part of a synagogue of Hellenists that, that when Luke says all the church scattered, he might mean all the Hellenists scattered. But whatever the reason, the, the apostles stayed behind and 
they're able to tell us that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Bible scholars are divided over who these devout men are, whether they are Christians or whether they are Jesus-seeking, Messiah-seeking Jews who had remained open to the gospel despite the persecution and who were supportive of this Jesus movement. I, learned to the, toward, I leaned toward the view that they were ethnic Jews who were open to Jesus and they understood that what had happened to Stephen was a great injustice that had been perpetuated by their leaders. And they're wrestling with, how are my leaders acting this way when these people are magnifying someone they say is the Messiah and they're healing and delivering people and then good things are happening. And so what do they do? They take Stephen and they, they bury him and they lament over him. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, Giving a man charged with blasphemy and stoned to death a proper burial and mourning his death, it's an act of, of protest. There, there's a bit of poetic justice in verse 2. There's just a little nugget of a reminder to the Christian community that God is just. God does see. And His justice will prevail. The Sanhedrin thought that they could silence Stephen with a stoning, but Stephen still gets the last word. He gets the last word on the lips of some devout men who probably aren't even Christians yet, saying, this guy was treated unjustly, and we will mourn over him. Stephen was executed, and the church was exiting the city, but somehow God was still at work in the hearts of people in Jerusalem, even as the church is on the run. Stephen's death was not in vain. God's justice will prevail. Believers have this same assurance today as we strive for peace and endure hardships that come to those who share the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. You can rest assured if you are in Christ, Jesus will get the final word and you're going to be on the good side of that calculation. When we share the gospel, even when it is costly, with every confidence that God sees and we, we share it with every confidence that God sees and that even if we should die as Stephen did, we will be raised up on the last day. The third thing we see in this text in verses 4 through 7 is this. We must embrace God's desire for His entire church to be engaged in His mission as we scatter. We, right now, are the church gathered. If, if I can hurry up and finish this sermon, it won't be long that we're going to be the church scattered. We often think about the church as what happens within the walls on this campus. And to be sure, there's a lot of good things that happen on this campus. 3D groups, I hope you are in one. And if you just showed up at 1030, I'm so glad you're here. But don't miss out on the opportunity to get in a small group where you can pray together, you can be supported when stuff happens in your life. It's like making the church bite-sized. So when stuff happens, did you know stuff happens? That there's a team around you to pray for you and support you and lean on together. By the way, if you're 
a Bible teacher, you know the word well and like teaching, I'd love to, to talk to you more because we, we really need to launch some more groups here at North Roanoke. So if you're not in a group, get in a group. But there's a lot that happens when we gather. But most of the time, we're scattered. Most of the action that happens in the life of the church is, is that what, which happens out there. And for the first seven chapters of Acts, the church has been content to be bottled up in Jerusalem, just hanging out, loving one another, sharing the gospel right in their city. But God had said back in Acts 1-8, what did he say through Jesus? Jesus said, look, you're going to get power when the Spirit comes, and you're going to take the gospel, not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria. And it's almost like God's like, all right, by chapter 7, all right, fine. If you're not going to scatter on your own, you're going to get scattered. You see, God prizes something more than the earthly security of the church. He prizes the glory of His Son in all the earth above all things. He doesn't want us bottling up the gospel in these four walls. He wants you in your workplace sharing the gospel. He wants you on a Zoom call with some guy in Ukraine who's sharing the gospel. He wants you leveraging your family meals at Thanksgiving and Christmas for the gospel. He has placed you among people that I will never meet so that you would share the gospel with them. You say, well, I've been trying and I don't see it happening. Did you know God has a whole network of Christians all over the place? And sometimes you're just dropping a little seed in there. And it might be 15 years before somebody comes by and waters that seed. And then you find out, maybe not until eternity, what God did in their life. Because you were faithful with your little part while you were scattered to share the gospel with somebody who needed it. Man, I'm way off my notes. But, but don't neglect, you're a missionary. You say, well, you know, we're, we pray for missionaries every Sunday. Yes, we do. But if you have the Spirit of God in you, who was given to you to glorify the Son, the reason He did that is so that you would share who Christ is with whoever you come in contact with. God allows persecution to fuel the progress of the gospel into Judea and Samaria through spirit-filled witnesses just like he promised. Get this, Saul thinks that he's shutting down the Christian movement, but in, in truth, God is scattering his people to fuel the mission. In verse 1, Luke says to the church, they were all scattered. You see that? In verse 4, he calls them those who were scattered. Saul was persecuting, but God was scattering. In the Old Testament, scattering is a sign of judgment. You remember the Tower of Babel? They spoke one language, they built a tower to make a name for themselves, and God gave them different languages and scattered them in judgment, but now they have the same language of love pulsing on the inside. They don't need to bring people to a temple in a location. They got the temple of the presence of God on the inside, and God's like, go, go in the power of the Spirit, go with the gospel, tell anybody you can that Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and guess what? The first place you're going is Judea in and Samaria in fulfillment of what Jesus said. Everything changes because of the presence of Christ on the inside. Being scattered is no longer for the purpose of judgment. It's for the purpose of the global advance of the gospel. God scatters his church 
not because they're making a name for themselves, but because they have the Spirit on the inside given to them to share about the name above every other name. Persecution can't take away the presence of God from your life. They still have the presence of the Spirit on the inside in in Christ. Listen to this, in Christ they have rest even when they're on the run. I talked to Slavic, the president of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary, right before this worship service on a Zoom call, and I said, what's it like day four? He said, I feel like I've aged so much in four days. There's so much going on. But God is my hope and stay. They're running for their lives out of their homes into Judea and Samaria. And what do they do in verse 4? They went about preaching the word. What are you going to do when you're on the run? They preached the word. And I just want to pause here for a moment with this pastoral interjection and application. If you wait for your life to be perfect to tell others about Jesus, you're never going to tell somebody about Jesus. The problem you're in right now might be the platform that God has for you to share the gospel. Well, I can't talk to somebody about Jesus right now because I'm going through this thing. Or I'm battling this thing. Or I'm really grieving the the loss of a family member. And They'll think, well, why is she so sad? And telling me about Jesus, on the other hand, it won't be credible. Don't buy Satan's lies. Your problems are a platform for the gospel. Persecution didn't stop the progress of the gospel. It propelled the gospel in new places on the lips of a persecuted people who had nothing to hold on to other than their union with Christ and their fellowship with one another, and that was all they needed. We serve a God who can take your present problems and make them a platform for sharing Jesus. I love what Tony Morita says here. He asks this, Have you considered that even your promotions... Your demotions, your setbacks, that God has sovereignly ordained and allowed the twists and turns in your life to give you an opportunity to preach the gospel to your neighbors and acquaintances. If you're wrestling with a job loss or have even had to flee because of persecution, it's time to reflect on how God in his mysterious sovereignty has permitted your pain for the purpose of the progress of the gospel. Now I know... Some of you might be thinking, but I thought that was the pastor's job. Nope. Ephesians 4. Pastors are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not to do all the ministry. Every single spirit-indwelled believer is commissioned by God to share the gospel. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not a missionary. That's what we see in verse 4. Everyday Christians went about preaching the word. And the word preaching here doesn't mean that they had to put up a pulpit with a nice logo. That's a nice logo, isn't it? I love that logo. Uh, They didn't have to get a pulpit up and craft a formal message and spend a week in the word trying to figure out how to parse the tenses of verbs. All it means, it's the word for evangelism. It just means they went around the world as they went gossiping the gospel. As they went, they shared the gospel with whoever would listen. Michael Green, I I love this, in his article, Evangelism in the Early Church, he says this, It's not the apostles, but amateur missionaries 
the people evicted from Jerusalem due to persecution who took the gospel wherever they went. They went everywhere spreading the good news which had brought joy, release, and a new life to themselves. This was often not formal preaching, listen to this, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances. In homes, on walks, around market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel and the movement spread. Do we want to see a spread of the gospel in our city? That's where you say yes, amen. we got to see ourselves as scattered. we got to understand that when we leave this building, we don't cease to be the church. We're no less the church when we walk through those double doors and get in our car than we are in here. If you're in Christ, you're in the church this morning, and you're in the church tomorrow when you're in the cube next to the person that drives you crazy. And God puts you there to give them the gospel. In verses 5 through 7, we read of Philip. He's one of those seven men that was set apart in chapter 6. One of those men full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit. You see, when Stephen dies, God's got another one to step up. They thought they could cancel the movement by stoning Stephen. Stephen is stoned and Philip steps up and God empowers him and he comes down to a city in Samaria and he starts proclaiming the Christ. Now this word proclaim is the Bible word for preaching. So you got all these Christians as they go, they're just gossiping the gospel, gossiping the gospel. And then God sends Philip the evangelist down there and he's like, well I am going to drop a little sermon on him. I'm going to proclaim the Christ. I'm going to announce to the city of Samaria that the Messiah has come. In verses 6 and 7, we see that the crowds, crowds likely brought by those scattered Christians, listened to the message of the gospel. We didn't get there this morning, but down in verse 12, we'll see that men and women came to saving faith in Jesus and were baptized. We also see that that God brings through Philip miraculous spiritual and physical deliverance as the gospel reaches new people in a new place. In this case, the people who are reached with the gospel are Samaritans. If you, if you know your Bible history, you know that Samaritans were partly Jewish and partly Gentile in their ethnic makeup. And they were also sort of Jewish and sort of not in their religious practices. So here's what that meant. Everybody hated the Samaritans. The Gentiles hated the Samaritans because they were too Jewish. The, Jewish, the Jews hated the Samaritans because they weren't Jewish enough. Did, did you know God wants to reach people that the world hates? He wants to reach the marginalized. The people that everybody would overlook. God's got a special place in his heart to reach those kinds of people. Jesus foreshadowed his heart for the Samaritans, didn't he? You remember John 4, the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan woman. Here's a man who went through Samaria intentionally because he had to go there. Because he had to tell her about what? He had to tell her about living water. 
Oh, you come to this well and you've not been faithful in five marriages, but let me tell you about somebody who will change your heart and will refresh you from the inside over and over again. It will be like a wellspring welling up within you. Jesus did that. When he, when he told a parable about loving your neighbor, when the, when the lawyer said, well, who's my neighbor then? Who do I have to love? Who did he tell a parable about? The good Samaritan. And when Jesus healed ten lepers and only one leper came back to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. Who was it? It was the Samaritan leper. Church, Jesus has come to give hope and salvation to those who have realized that there is nothing in this world that brings the soul satisfaction we so desperately need. Jesus is in the business of taking those who have no home in this world and giving them a home in His mission. Jesus has come for those who have no purpose to give them a purpose of being on the front lines of gospel advance. And let me tell you the good news. All the world's purposes that you find, they, they expire at some point. I'm, I'm 43. I started pastoring this church when I was 37, and I could run with those guys in this open gym, and now I can't do it anymore. I always wanted to be a great basketball player. And I am struggling to come to the resolution. It's just not going to happen. A lot of purposes, a lot of dreams, and a lot of agendas that we set our minds and our hearts and our affections on and we chase for year after year after year. We have wake-up call after wake-up call after wake-up call and we go, that's going to end. But let me tell you one thing you can give your life to that you can be a part of until your last dying breath. And then you can enjoy it forevermore. The mission of God in Christ Jesus. I, I, I don't know if you do this. Sometimes I think about like, Lord, how are you going to take me? Is it going to be a car wreck? Is it going to be stage four cancer and we battle it with chemo forever? Like, I don't know. Are you going to take my mind? Here's what I do know. As long as I have life and breath and somebody to talk to, I want to tell them about Jesus. Because that's a purpose that will not return void. Jesus has come for the spiritually oppressed and the spiritually possessed. He's come for those who feel like they have no place in this world. Perhaps this morning you feel like a Samaritan. Trapped between two identities with no real place in the world. Jesus will be your identity. Jesus will give you new life and new purpose and new perspective that is found in Him and in Him alone. And when you come to this King, you will find that He is scattering His people to the ends of the earth to announce that He saves and He is glorious. And notice what happens when the church scatters to announce that Jesus is king in verse 8. You see it? I want to end real simply this morning in verse 8. There was much joy in that city. Many people were delivered. There was much joy in the city. I want Roanoke to find the joy of Christ. 
And the only way there's going to be great joy in this city is if the churches of this city see themselves as commissioned by God to scatter in the power of the Holy Spirit week after week after week. It's not going to be because you heard a great sermon this Sunday. It's not going to be because we sang the most amazing songs this week. Those things are important. They're fuel for us. For what? For scattering. But until the Christians in the valley take up the mantle of scattering... We won't see the joy realized in our city that God has in store for us. Church, this is why God saved you. God saved you to scatter you among the nations, to glorify Christ and spread joy to others, even in the midst of your pain and your problems and your troubles. The psalmist says in Psalm 67, 1 through 3, May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make His face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Verse 3, listen to this. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why do you exist and have life and breath this morning? You exist for the glory of Christ expressed in the praise of the nations. So in closing, I have one final point of application. Get on mission. Don't waste your life. Get engaged in God's mission of bringing joy to the Roanoke Valley. Find a place to serve in the family of God here. See your job as your platform for the progress of the gospel. And if God should call you, be willing to go wherever He should send you, even if it's Benghazi, Libya. Even if it's into adversity, even if it's into a war zone, be content and satisfied to go there knowing that home is where the heart is. And if your heart is with Christ and He calls you to be on mission, He will not abandon you, leave you, or forsake you. You will find that He is there and He will work through your faithful witness to bring joy to this city and to cities around the world. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't waste your life waiting for your life to be problem-free before you think that God would use you. Let God use you today. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, I give you praise for this text. I give you praise for the reality that you are with us and you are for us. God, I know in this room there, there are people who feel the weight of, of guilt of what they've done. They feel the, the pain of sin. Some, God, because they've never surrendered to you. Some, God, because they've never just come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I finally realize I, I can never be good enough to get to you, but Christ has been good enough in my place, and I want to trust Him, and I want to follow Him, and I want Him to change me, and I want to be a part of His team and His mission. God, if there's people today who want to do that, I pray you'd give them the liberty to, to trust Christ today. But God, I trust there are many others in this room. They, they've trusted you, and whether it's COVID or a, a problem that they've faced or a temptation that they've succumbed to in the past, God, they, they feel defeated. God, they feel broken. They, they feel like that you can't use them. God, I pray that you would give them the liberty to just confess, to surrender afresh, and to find, God, that you use broken people to reach broken people. God, that you use our problems as a platform for the progress of the gospel. God, we want to go deeper into the heart of God. And as we scatter, we want you to loosen our lips so that there would be great joy in the Roanoke Valley. We pray it for the glory of your Son and in his name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.